0: You're listening
1: to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com.
0: Hi, Michelle. So glad to be here with you on Lead to Soar.
1: Yeah, me too, Mel. And we always say this, or I always say this, oh, this is a good one we've got today. And it is a good one we've got today because we're both having head explosions and sea opportunities. So anyway, I'm really glad to be here.
0: Yeah, well, I want to open up this discussion with a little reading. And I'll give some context around this because I think this really sets the stage for all the juiciness that this conversation has. I am going to read just a bit from the introduction of a book called A Whole New Mind by Dan Pink. And I want to emphasize that this was published in 2005. And at the beginning here, what he's really written is a prediction. And I think that he was absolutely spot on. So let's dive in. Pink writes, The last few decades have belonged to a certain kind of person with a certain kind of mind computer programmers who could crank code, lawyers who could craft contracts, MBAs who could crunch numbers. But the keys to the kingdom are changing hands. The future belongs to a very different kind of person with a very different kind of mind. Creators and empathizers, pattern recognizers and meaning makers. These people, artists, inventors, designers, storytellers, caregivers, consolers, big-picture thinkers will now reap society's richest rewards and share its greatest joys. This book describes a seismic, though as yet undetected, shift now underway in much of the advanced world. We are moving from an economy and a society built on the logical, linear, computer-like capabilities of the information age to an economy and a society built on the inventive, empathic, big picture capabilities of what's rising in its place the conceptual age let me unpack a little bit of this (laughs) part of what pink predicted is the shift from those straight up linear paths like engineering into morphed positions and i have 100% 100% seen this in my career path because the people who are really able to move a business forward are not the people who are cranking code or creating the engineering designs. They're people who are able to tap into a bunch of other strengths, including bringing team members together, getting them to collaborate Getting entire teams to work together towards some bigger missions, big picture, as he describes it. And there's definitely aspects of the other pieces he described, storytelling. How are you able to weave your company's story in such a way that people want to buy your product, that people want to come to work for you? So... I see this setting the stage around how businesses have been changing into the world we're in today. And maybe this, uh, well, it definitely crosses over with another discussion you and I were having around AI and the future of work, right? AI is not going to take over everything in jobs, but the people who know how to use it and incorporate it are going to be the ones who succeed, right? So all of this to say that leaders, I'm speaking to you out there, the people that work for you are not widgets and they're not widget makers. They are humans that want and need to be engaged in a much deeper way and we came to this topic we came to all this these layers here because of what we've been seeing around some leaders out there saying you must come back to the office let me turn it over to you now
1: (laughs) so this first started this topic which is wide ranging and very very deep and has a number of rabbit holes first came to my attention In 2022, it was about, I guess, third and fourth quarter of of 2022 when we started, I started to read articles in the press and the business press from, frankly, powerful and privileged men who were saying, get back to the office, hybrid work, work from home, it is done. There is no more. The pandemic is done, so that is done. And I had my usual head explosion about that very binary way of working, because one of the first things that I wrote as we were enduring the pandemic in year one was, I've had some insights, and I think not all things are bad that have come out of this pandemic. And one of them was how it was shining a light on some things, particularly for women and women in the workplace that have always been there, but had been exacerbated by the pandemic. But it had also accelerated the opportunity to say, hey, what is work? Work can be done anywhere. You actually want to say, as you've just said, Mel, we want to have people in our organisation that move the organisation forward and that's how we measure success and that's how we measure individual success, potential, performance, etc. So when I started to see these headlines of, you know, it takes being in the office to network and being in the office to get ahead. Not being in the office is a career derailer. I kind of went, really? What have we just gone back to 1998 to Jack Welch's GE? Which, you know, was, I've got to say, it was the the litmus test and the benchmark for a lot of leaders. And I've got to say myself included for a while. Hey, Jack Welch's GE. This is the way you do leadership. You have A players, B players, C players, D players, and they're all in the office. So this article that I was writing at the beginning of the pandemic was let's take the lessons and not go back to normal because there's now a new normal. So to my absolute horror, I was starting to see powerful, privileged people saying, we want you to go back to the old normal, not the new normal. And one of them was Elon Musk, who told, after he infamously took over Twitter, he told his employees to return to the office or pretend to work somewhere else. And that came hot on the heels of Boris Johnson urging people in the UK to go back to the office because they might get distracted by their home fridges and the cheese within them. And these are two quotes from a a really terrific article by a woman here in Australia called Belinda Morgan, that was published in Women's Agenda. And it caught my eye and I thought, I want to talk about this because her headline was, why powerful and privileged men need to stop telling us to get back to the office full time. And so we've been noodling on it since then, Mel. And leaders, we do want to talk to you. We want to talk to you about why it is so important to engage the greatness in others and why that is your job to do that and how ordering people into any environment is not doing that. So let's talk about that, Mel. And where I want to go with this is you've had some great experiences of being a remote and hybrid worker. And I want everyone who's listening to hear what good looks like. Because we often talk about what we shouldn't do, but what does good look like and what should we be as leaders doing and, and and making decisions about whatever label you want to put on it, flexible working, hybrid working, remote working, blah, blah, blah. So what's your experience, Mel?
0: Sure, I'd like to share an experience that I had, and this is pre pandemic. This was starting in probably around 2015, where I was physically working in the state of Florida, and my superior, in particular, my technical mentor, was based in New York. So, not in the same offices, and that is how we were working from the beginning. So there was a lot for me to learn. And this person really just made use of the tools available to us. And I'll contrast this with an experience that I had later, but his name's Brian. So shout out to Brian. You are awesome. Brian would hop on Skype with me on a regular basis. And sometimes we had scheduled meetings. Sometimes we sent a quick IM and hopped on a call so that we could share screens and he could explain something to me. And, Keep in mind here, I am not a software engineer. This is not a setting of working on computer code. This is the world of environmental consulting. So we would get on Skype and just use this as a tool available to us. when We were able to do everything we needed to do serving our clients that way. That was a wonderful experience for me. I learned a lot and I consistently felt like he cared about my path and where things were going, etc. And on some level, I assumed that other engineering consulting companies had it together in the same way. And I learned later that no, in fact, they did not. There are still engineering consulting companies that were operating under this old school, perhaps Jack Welch or older mindset that to get anything useful done, you have to come into an office. That's my experience. And I'll give a segue here, kind of thinking about the bigger picture. The work that people have today, not jobs, the responsibilities that your typical worker professional that we're talking about on the show today has, it's not. Solely production. If you're listening to this podcast, I know that what you want on your team are engaged team members that are working for the service of your business and your clients or customers. And in order to have engaged team members, we have to meet some of their needs. We have to give them things like some level of autonomy. We have to have a purpose that team members can be aligned with. These things are non-negotiable. They're critical if you want an actually engaged workforce. Michelle, you mentioned something offline earlier about the makeup of the workforce today. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so the backstory to this is I went to a conference uh, or an expo in Chicago in 2014 and a futurist was talking and this futurist said hey banking people because <laughs> that's who was there hey banking people guess what the millennials are coming they're going to be and they are the largest part of the population in the world have the most disposable income have needs and wants and aspirations that are very different to their parents and their grandparents. And you are got to pay attention, because if you want them working for you, they want to know that, A, you're ethical, B, that you stand for something, C, that they're going to have an environment where they can thrive, flourish, and feel like they are making a contribution. And that doesn't look like the way your organisations are set up right now. And I see nearly 10 years later mel the same kind of people not the futurists the people in the room saying get back to the office and i'm going hello hello you're desperate for the best and brightest talent you want to move your business forward in a sustainable way to create a high sustainable high performance organization so you're insisting on shackling people to an office a desk etc. And what part of that is, in your words, Mel, or I'm paraphrasing here, what part of that is going to invoke my passion, or purpose, or loyalty to this organisation? What part of that shackling me to a physical environment is going to unlock my creativity, my innovative ideas? And I I say so often in, in the programs that I run, in organisations, particularly for women. Innovation is not inventing the next Apple iPhone or the next Twitter. Innovation is how do we do this better? How do we do it better for our customers, for our people and our shareholders? Faster, cheaper, higher quality. Shackling someone to a physical location is not necessarily going to unlock that. Mm. And when you say to these people, and I've got to say, I've got a high dose of millennial in me because I didn't like being shackled to a physical location either. But when it boils down to it, I don't like being told what to do and where to be. I spent probably the first two-thirds of my career in that environment and I see the value of having targeted, intentional opportunities to collaborate face-to-face with my colleagues. But I also see that the the sheer productivity, the opportunity to do deep thinking, deep work and come up with great solutions when I don't have the distractions of an hour and a half commute. Colleagues jibber-jabbering around me, yada, yada, yada. But this comes back to why is one set of society imposing, frankly, what are outdated views on another set that are absolutely going to take their business forward?
0: Right. Well, and what it seems to me is that this perhaps older generation regime is trying to use enforcement to obtain these other results that they're not going to get of an engaged workforce to move the business forward
1: where does that come from mel so to interrupt but you know i always say high trust environments versus low trust environments i do a kind of a scribble on a whiteboard but when you map out in front of people say tell me what a high trust environment looks like write me the words describe it or draw pictures now describe and write and draw what a low trust work environment looks and sounds and feels like leaders do that because this will give you some insights into when you create a high trust environment oh my god the difference it can make for people mm-hmm. but it comes down to trust mel enforcement means i don't trust people you to do what you're paid to do.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what we're going to see are lots of people voting with their feet. So millennials make up over half the workforce now. We've got Gen Z coming up. And I think we're sweeping with a, a bit of a broad brush here. But in general, I think those generations of folks are going to have the mindset of, if you don't trust me to do the work autonomously, then I don't trust you to work for you. I think that that's going to be the take there.
1: I think it is a broad brush, but it's a really Mm. valid one. Listeners, I want to acknowledge too that we are talking about knowledge workers because I, I fully acknowledge that if you're a healthcare worker or a first responder, a teacher, there are some jobs and professions and vocations where elements of what we're talking about are just not applicable. So I I acknowledge that. So we are talking about knowledge workers and I really want leaders to stop, breathe and think. Stop, breathe and reflect. Is this really going to take my business forward by forcing people, in this case, to come back into the office? So that enforcement, I think it's a really good word to, to draw out here, Mel, enforcement I don't like being told what to do, which is no surprise to anyone that (laughs) knows me. My wife, if she was here, she'd go, oh, my God, it's a relevation. Not. But people don't want to be told or forced to do something. Some of us who are happier to be led in certain directions, more or less autonomously, some of us don't want to do that. We want to be forging our way but we know what the goal is. And I think that enforcement is such a powerful word for us to consider, Mel, in this and other contexts. You know, we're talking about one context.
0: Right. And let's add in here that we're not saying that your company needs to be 100% remote with everyone only working from home, et cetera. The example of my experience earlier, I saw... Brian when we traveled to work sites, when we traveled to each other's offices. I did see him in person and that was also important time. So I want to be clear about that. I also want to share an example that I read about from a company called GitLab. So GitLab has over 1,700 employees in 65 countries. And one of the things the company implemented was something called a get-together grant and they provide up to fifty dollars for meals transportation or other activities with co-workers and they also provide visiting grants up to a thousand dollars to travel to events that involve multiple teammates So I thought that was just a, a nice creative thing that this company did to, incentivize the behavior that they're looking for, right? So the behavior you're looking for is for your team to be cohesive and collaborative. How do you enroll your team members in the journey that you want them to go on? How do we get everybody kind of rowing in the same direction, right? Enrollment, not enforcement.
1: For those of you who remember, I think it's, oh, is it, was it Cotter around change, Cotter's theory of change? Gee, I'm, I'm stretching my mind now. But basically, there's a any change you want to make. And let's face it, change is what we're doing every single day in the workplace. But any change that you want to make, you've got to build a coalition of the willing. And, you know, that coalition of the willing, just, just imagine those two words now, visualise it now, willing, enforcement. People who are enforced are not willing. So if we want to change, and you can listen to our episode with Dr. Jen Fram on why managing change effectively is so important for leaders, but building a coalition of the willing is incredibly important. And I think bringing that mindset to the way that we lead, the way that we structure, the way we do work, the way we do stuff around here is very, very important for leaders. So Leaders right now, I want you to ask yourself, if you are in an environment where people are required to come to a certain work location, are they part of the coalition of the willing or have they been forced to do that?
0: Yeah, I think another way that leaders can think about this is how are we designing our workplace and its policies for humans? Are we designing our workplace policies and environment around the employees that we want on our teams, or are we designing it for the lowest common denominator and making our best employees maneuver that environment?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So have you got people (laughs) that are in your workplace because it's the only place or or whatever, or have you got ones who really want to be there? Who are, who are showing up, whether it's in person or virtually, to take your business forward. We're not getting into particular solutions here because there is no one-size-fits-all. There is no one rule that is going to be applicable to every organisation, and including there's not going to be one that's applicable to every employee or every team member in your organisation. But leaders, please consider, are you forcing people or are they part of the coalition of the willing have you engaged their greatness and part of engaging the greatness in them is saying what are your preferred ways of working what are your preferred methods of communication and we often tell the members in our lead to soar network have a conversation with your boss this is a really good really good conversation to have with your boss how would you like me to stay in touch with you how would you like to us to manage my performance these are yes it takes work leaders but you know what that's your job
0: absolutely so asking some better questions and i think there's questions to ask directly that you want to have potentially one-on-one conversations or face-to-face conversations with people. And then there's also things that I think you can ask anonymously to get a better feel for how your people really feel inside your organization. How much autonomy do your team members really feel like they have? If that's something you should ask through sort of anonymous polls. How much autonomy do they have over their work techniques, over their work schedule, how they perform their duties, things like that.
1: And Mel, I want to build on that again. Leaders, please link everything to outcomes. What is your positional purpose? I.e., what do they pay you to do around here? They pay you to lead for outcomes, to lead your team, to contribute, to take the business forward, to achieve the strategic and financial outcomes that are important for the organisation. So that's your positional purpose, your team's positional purpose. So I want you to think about the outcomes you're leading for and are you managing the performance of your team members in line with the outcomes that you're leading for? or some outdated thinking around a policy that says everyone has to be in the office. Now, I've know i drawn a very, very broad or binary kind of thing there, and I know it's much more subtle and there's a more nuanced discussion, but why do we ask people to come into the office? Is it about achieving and sustaining extraordinary outcomes for the organisation? Or is it because someone said so? And have we questioned that?
0: Right. Is it because it makes you feel like you've got butts in seats and you can take attendance.
1: Yeah, because, you know, presenteeism, gee, that's going to create total shareholder return, said no one ever. (laughs) (laughs) It's not, it's not. So leaders, when you think about how can I be an extraordinary leader, how can I take the business forward? Part of that is challenging the status quo. Mm. Now you don't have to be the squeaky wheel all the time, but challenging the status quo is, I wonder if there's a better way what if there's a better way of doing our business, of engaging our people on taking the business forward, is there a better way? And let's not just shake our fist at the sky. Yep. Let's say I don't believe that getting everyone to come into the office five days a week is helping us move the business forward. We know, because I've done those questions, I've, I've asked those questions that, and done those surveys that Mel suggested, I know that my team members are saying I want to do life in a different way. So I've got some data points. Now I'm going to create a solution. I might road test that solution. So be bold if you've got the ability to say, hey, let's pilot it. Let's have a team that's got autonomy and then present the outcomes and say, hey, we should do this. So, you know, this is innovation. This is creativity, challenging the status quo. Mel, you've told us about when it worked well for you. When hasn't it worked well? As in a workplace, I guess... You know, no names, no pack drill, but um, when have you felt forced or enforced to operate in a certain way? What was the impact?
0: Well, an example I want to point to that I had is an organization that was very resistant to digital tools kind of in general and didn't adopt a co-working digital solution like Slack or Teams until they were forced to by the pandemic. And the big issue that I saw was the mindset. There was a real resistance to adopting the tool for use once it was in place, especially by leaders. And what that meant is... I did not see people taking the mindset on that my former superior Brian had of, I have this tool. I'm going to use it. We can use this to learn. I can use this to communicate with you. And isn't it great? Because it gives both of us this flexibility and ability to not only work collaboratively in our separate places, but also to work with clients that were on a different continent. Mm. So having that fixed mindset was a hindrance in the ability, I think, for the teams to really move forward collaboratively in a new digital environment. But I have to imagine that that fixed mindset didn't stop there. It affected other ways that the organization could have been growing or adapting to this very swiftly changing world. And what came with that, as you might imagine, were some cohorts of leaders that were being very verbal around returning to the office. So I think it's worth noting here that having flexible workplace policies is better for women. You're going to be able to keep more women that need flexibility in their schedule if you do this with thought and care. And also with that, I've seen multiple different pieces now that research showing that people of color and particularly women of color have really adapted well to the working from home, working flexibly, because for them, it means that they sustain fewer microaggressions. And so they're happier and more engaged with their work because they're not having to deal with that.
1: I'll add something to that around policy, because I've worked in an environment where a flexible working policy was enshrined but it really depended on who your manager was as to whether you did work flexibly or not. And I have talked about my last team I had in in my corporate career, my amazing team, and how we worked. And, you know, this organisation, flexible working was the done thing, except in the division that we were in. And, Two of my team members, interestingly two men, had a separate conversations with me along the same lines, do you mind if I work flexibly? And I said, why would I mind? It's policy. And they said, yeah, but it might be policy, Michelle, but it's just not the done thing. And I said, you know what? You could be working anywhere. I don't mind where you are. You can sit on a tram going up Bourke Street. For those of you in Melbourne, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's where you, you're going to produce your best work. You knock yourself out. And they went, "Wow, okay, that's really interesting." And we did. We measured outcomes, which is the whole point of this conversation. Measure the right things, and then policy is one thing. Implementation's better, as is shifting the mindsets around flexible work. If you have a flexible work policy, it is not enough. If you have a hybrid working policy, it is not enough. You've actually got to help your leaders, people leaders, with their mindsets about low trust, high authority, command and control. You've got to help them build skills to manage it more effectively. And you've got to keep asking your people, your team members, what do they want? What do they want? What do they want? But ultimately, Mel, we've got to measure the outcomes. Is the business moving forward? And frankly, my business at that time moved forward. I didn't know where my people were half the time. And people said, where's so-and-so? I'm not entirely sure. How come you don't know where your people are? I said, because I don't need to know. We have check-ins. We have a rhythm. I measure the outcomes. They know where I am and how to get hold of me because they know my preferred methods of communication. Send me a text. Don't send me an email. You know, so... As leaders, please, please, please start thinking about these things because one size doesn't fit all and your experience and your expectations might not, and in some cases I'd be confident in saying probably don't, mirror those of your team members who are at a different career stage and perhaps a different generation without getting too ageist. But, so there you go.
0: I love it. What else, Michelle, what else do we need to cover on this topic of enforced office return?
1: Look, I think we've given our listeners, I would hope, a lot of gold there. Think about trust. Think about have we got a coalition of the willing or people in indentured labour? Have we engaged the greatness in, in those people? Do we know their preferred ways of working and communication? Do they know my preferred ways of working and communication? Are we measuring how we're taking the business forward rather than who's showing up physically.
0: Really appreciate that. So there you go. Okay, leaders, you, you have your work set out for you. So even if your your business didn't take a nosedive like Twitter, there's potentially still some work to do around how is your team engaged? How are you going to enroll them going forward? And What's going on in their minds? Do they feel like they have the autonomy and the ability to do their work the way they want to do their work? Truly.
1: Truly. And at the very bottom line is your company exists for a whole bunch of reasons. Does forcing people to come into any location help them meet the purpose of the organization? The answer cannot be yes and I'm happy to debate it, but anyway. So I think the other call to action here, Mel, is for the women listening, come and talk to us about your experiences. If you have experiences in workplaces that aren't favourable or are favourable, we love to hear the good stories as well, there's a couple of different ways that you can get advice from us. Number one, you can leave us a voicemail. So leadtosaw.com, we've got a little little gadget there where you can leave us a voicemail and ask for advice or send us an email and or come into the Lead to Saw Network because we have lots and lots of discussion both uh, written so in our our activity feed as well of, of course in our workshops and our weekly group coaching sessions and how to navigate these workplace matters is well that's what we do we help leaders be better and also help women navigate these, these matters. So come visit us or talk to us.
0: Yes. We'd love to hear from you. So it's just lead to sore.com. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you, Michelle.
1: Thanks Mel. Thank you for joining us for this episode of lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at lead to com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to SOAR.